Crosspoint Community Church. We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. Remember, as uh, Christine mentioned, uh, if you have questions during the sermon, you are welcome to raise those on Slido. Um, So world global history is defined by a succession of empires. I found a uh, interesting, a really, I thought a fascinating um, map online that um, we couldn't get into like the size to put up on the screen. So on that little handout that you have with some background acts of notes on the back, there's one of the QR codes says view the histo map. Um, maybe later today at some point, I would encourage you to check that out and to look at that because I think it puts things into perspective. It's 4,000 years of empires throughout our globe. And it looks like kind of the ebb and flow of those empires and what they look like. And what's interesting is you look at that, I think it really puts into perspective our place in the world. But one of the things that I think it really does illustrate is the one thing that every empire in the history of the world has in common. They all end. None of them go on forever. Not one. And, and, and I think we have to just kind of recognize that and remember that. And, and, and revolution is actually often the impetus that leads from one empire to the next. And as we get into our study of the book of Acts, I want you to recognize what's going on in the book of Acts. See, Acts speaks of revolution. It is life in the disrupting presence of the Holy Spirit. That's what Acts is. The Holy Spirit is disruptive in our lives. And Acts has this this record of how the Holy Spirit continuously disrupted life for, for the apostles, for the religious leaders, for the Roman Empire, and then we see that happen throughout history. You see, there, there's, there's this reality that, that um, empires are everywhere. And that's what we live in the midst of. And there's a couple things that I want us to understand and recognize as we get into the book of Acts, kind of the, the context, um, the context of, of how Acts kind of is laid out. And there's two things that we have to be familiar with. One is empire. Specifically in the book of Acts, it's the Roman Empire. And yet, yet life with Christ is always in the midst of empire has always lived in the midst of empire because we live in a sinful fallen world and no matter what nation or empire that we live under, that is, we, we live in that empire and, and, and we live out the presence of the Holy Spirit and the work of Christ that he continues in us. In fact, one of the things we need to recognize about every single empire, no matter what empire it is, whether it's the Roman Empire, whether it's the Russian Empire, whether it's the empire of the United States, is that every empire, the goal of every empire is to shape its people and ultimately the world to its own image. 
That's, that's just the goal. It's not, it's not necessarily a good goal or a bad goal. It's just the goal of every empire. I mean, look at, look at the Iran. Their goal is to shape people and the world to its own likeness. Canada, if it had a will, would be... To, that was super low. And I apologize for that. But I'm sure, let me rephrase it. Canada would love to impose its will and, and, and on its people and, and the world to conform it to its image. And we'd be probably a kinder, more discussion-oriented world. It'd be great. But it's true of all empires. Think about it. We live in America, we've grown up in America, and America shapes us to be like America. But that's the goal of empire. And and so we have to remember that, and that is what's happening in Acts, is that empire has a huge thing. Because because what happens is, is following Jesus does not exactly walk the path that empire sets out for you. So in a lot of ways, the empires strike back. I don't even have to apologize for that one. (laughs) The second thing that I think we need to be familiar with as we're looking at the context of Acts is is a word, uh, diaspora. And diaspora uh, simply is, is the idea of a scattering or fragmentation Um, It's exile or loss. It's displaced and searching for a home. You see, Israel was part of the diaspora, that Israel was was dispersed. They were were fragmented, and they lived all over the Greco-Roman world, not just in Israel. And that that started for Israel long, long before the event of Christ and the Roman Empire, because Israel was, was kind of in this series of slavery and, and dominated and, and infiltrated and all of these things. And so they, they are part of the diaspora. They were all over. And you see that in Acts, where there's these Israelites who are displaced all over the known world. And, and so Israel lived in that diaspora. Um, Israel lived among the Gentiles all over to the point where some people who were part of Israel lived far enough and lived long enough away from Israel that they didn't even have that common language. And, 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 so, and so really you see in Acts the growing uh, of Jesus' disciples living among Israel and the Gentiles. And we as God's people are part of that diaspora living in a fallen world being redeemed back and called back and brought back to Jesus, yet we are separated all around the globe. And for the diaspora, people living in diaspora, danger is always present. Danger is always lurking around the corner. And and so we need to remember, that's kind of the setting of Acts. Then there's three things that I want you to kind of keep in mind as you study, as we study Acts together. These are three themes that run through the book of Acts and we have to keep them in mind to understand what's going on. And and, and maybe, you know, later when when the notes are online or something like that, you can write these things down, but because they're really important. Number one, it's that the joining of the Jew and Gentile under the kingship of Jesus is no small task. The joining of Jew and Gentile under the kingship of Jesus is no small task. We don't understand this because we don't live in this context, but here's the thing. 
To bring the Jew and Gentile together under Christ is the most difficult, most problem-laden ethnic reconciliation that there ever has been. More complicated and more difficult than any ethnic or racial issues today. It is a huge thing with, uh, with an, an unbelievable amount of bias and prejudice and anger and hatred. But that runs through the book of Acts. Second thing is this. Disciples of Jesus rarely, if ever, go where they want to go or to whom they would want to go to. Disciples of Jesus rarely, if ever, go where they want to go or go to whom they want to go to. You see, we don't call the shots in our lives if we have submitted ourselves to King Jesus. The Holy Spirit takes us where he bids us go. So if I'm a disciple of Jesus, rarely will I go where I want to go or to whom I wanna go to. I follow the Spirit's lead. And we see this played out over and over in the life of Peter, in the life of Paul, and in the lives of those who've come after. The last thing that we need to remember about Acts as we go through it is the main proclamation of Acts. The main proclamation of Acts is not about salvation and how to get to heaven. Now, some of you might, might say, well, of course the Bible's about salvation. The main proclamation of Acts, if you read the sermons that Peter preaches or Paul preaches or Stephen preaches, Salvation is included in the book of Acts. But I need you to understand this, that the proclamation of Acts and the New Testament is that Jesus is the risen king exalted to God's right hand and it is a call to people toward humble, loyal allegiance to King Jesus alone. That is the proclamation of Acts. And that is the, proclam that is the call that Jesus gives on us. Because you see, if, if we believe that the calling of Jesus is simply individual salvation and to go to heaven when we die, then we are of little to no earthly good. That just includes me. That doesn't have anything to do with anyone else. But what, what really the, the proclamation of, of Acts is, is, is for loyal, humble Allegiance to King Jesus alone, which affects every part of my life and every single relationship that I have. And we see that played out in Acts. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter one. Read the first few verses. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen he presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me for John the Baptist baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. There's a couple things in this kind of first few verses of Acts. One, it says that here in this book, Luke records the continuation of what Jesus began, the work Jesus began. It is a continuation of the work in the ministry of Jesus through the Holy Spirit as he takes it to the end of the earth. And then it says, by many proofs. 
The word that's translated proofs in this text is the only place that that word is used in the New Testament. And, and the idea of that word proof is that which causes something to be known in a convincing and decisive manner requiring a positive conviction and conclusion. So Luke's saying that there is no doubt that Jesus began this work and he continues this work. And then we kind of review the resurrection of Jesus and sets up how they will accomplish their mission. And so we get to this place where Jesus is with his disciples and there's this conversation recorded. In verse six, it says, so when they had come together, these are the apostles. So when they had come together, they asked Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? It's a great question. It's the question that has been on their minds since they heard of Jesus. They say, Jesus, now that you've risen from the dead, will you now restore the kingdom to Israel? What they're asking is this. When will we rule our land and become self-determining and if necessary, impose our will on others? And of course, that would be for the good of the world. But let's remember that every empire and every nation believes that what it does is for the good of the world. Russia's doing what it's doing for the good of the world in their own mind and in their own perception. Everything that the United States has done in its history they believe that they're doing it for the good of the world from their perspective. That's what nations do. And, and, so, and so the apostles were no different about Israel. And they say, Lord, when will Israel's greatness be restored? The great hope of Israel was being restored to that place of great blessing in favoritism by God. And it's debated among Jewish scholars whether or not that would have been good or bad for the Gentiles, either salvation for the Gentiles or judgment upon all the nations. And it was more likely that many of those Jews asking this question would be more on the judgment of nation side because the Jews and Israel had been so mistreated by the nations. Yet when God established his covenant with Abram, Abraham, he said, through you, all nations of the planet will be blessed. And, and so the disciples asked this question, when will we be back on top? When will we be back in charge? When will we be running the show? You see, the disciples were not even thinking in missional terms when they asked Jesus this question. And I think, we have to pause here because this raises a really, really interesting question. Let's remember that Israel, unlike any other nation in the history of the world, was established by God himself. Now, there might be other nations that were established with a Judeo-Christian ethic, maybe even having some Christians in their founding, but not one other nation than Israel was established by God for God to be a blessing to the rest of the world. Only Israel. Only Israel carries that title. And so it seems like if any nation could be loved and you could be loyal to, it would be Israel. 
And, and so that brings the question, should disciples of Jesus love their nation? That's a pretty common question that people might ask. Now let's remember that the nature of empires for the last 4,000 years, their very nature has been temporary. They don't last. They might have influence for a long time, but nations and empires don't last. And that every nation, regardless if it is an immoral, it has immoral values, or if it has moral values, every single nation sees itself as a force for good in the world from its own point of interest. So actually, I wonder if, if that's even the right question to ask. Should or can disciples of Jesus love their nation? I actually think there's a question we need to ask prior to that question which maybe is better asked this way. How might we show the love of God to all peoples, a love not contained by any nation, a love that slices through borders and boundaries and reaches into every people group, every clan, every tribe, and every family? I think that's the question we should ask. How might we show where we are in the empire within which we live, show every people the love of God. You see, empires, and this is true of every, every empire, there's this thing called nationalism, and empires mimic what God has designed for himself. And, and what I mean by that is this, in, in a nation, you, you gather around symbols and an ideal. And that's what you have in common and that's what binds you, supposed to bind you together. And these are your people, right? That's what a nation is. These are my people and, 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 then, and then we go out and our nation makes sure that it, it protects itself and it projects itself and we have this commonality together and we are a people together. You see, that mimics what God designed because what God designed was all people to be united and to be brought together through him and him alone. See, nations have a flag that they focus on and bring them in common. We have a God who became man and died, rose, and has ascended to heaven who we focus on. We don't have a flag, we have a God who brings us together and breaks down barriers. And his kingdom is not nationally boundaried. And, and so one of the things that comes up as we think about this is are we living in a God bound to our nation lifestyle or are we living a God over all nations lifestyle? Because you see the apostles were, were kind of living in this place of God bound to Israel. God is bound to Israel because he made some promises and, and Israel's greatness is what's important rather than a God over all nations. And I look at, look at myself and I think very often, I may not say this, very often I think I live a, in a way, in a manner of God bound to my nation. The way I look at other peoples and other nations. And, and so we need to be careful what we think and how we see this. 
You see, the cross and the resurrection itself says that there is no such thing as one nation under God, but a global holy nation without borders comprised of a priesthood of believers. That, that's what we are. If we are found in Christ, if we are disciples of Jesus Christ, then we are a priesthood of the believers that has no national boundaries. And the, one of the problems is the nations that we live in pit us against one another. We have to ladder up to King Jesus first. And so we have to be careful. I want you to consider this statement. When I wrote it down, I wasn't sure if I totally agreed with it. I think as I, as I think and reflect on it more and more, I think it's pretty accurate. But it's also maybe a bit offensive. To follow Jesus is to betray your people and the empire you were born into. To follow Jesus is to betray your people and the empire which you were born into. Let me give you three examples of, of why I think this is true. God came to Abram in Genesis chapter 12 and said, Abram, I want you to get up and I want you to take your wife and your family and I want you to leave your father's house, your father's land, and the nation in which you live. And I want you to go to a place where I will show you and I will make you a great nation. Do you think that Abram's father and his people saw Abram as a betrayer of his people and his nation? Absolutely. In Acts, we'll get to it eventually, but, but later in the book of Acts, there's a group of Jews who commit themselves to not eating any food until they kill Paul. Until Paul is dead, they will not eat any food. Why? Because Paul has betrayed Yahweh, he's betrayed the law, he's betrayed Israel, and they can even get him on betraying Rome. Within the last two months, a 15-year-old girl in Kurdistan who chose to follow Jesus as Savior and her uncle came and killed her. It was called honor killing because she betrayed her people and her God. To follow Jesus is to betray your people and the empire which you were born into. If I fit at any point in time if I fit in the nation that I live in, it might raise the question whether or not I'm really following Jesus. Here's the thing, we can be grateful, and I am grateful, for the opportunities that I have in this country. I'm really glad that I was born. I'm grateful for those who fought for freedom I'm thankful for the opportunities. But I have to always recognize that America is constantly trying to remake me in her image rather than Christ's. And if I don't recognize that, 
I will become a watered down version of arrogant American Christianity that does not please Jesus. So I have to be careful. Jesus responds to the disciples. Verse seven, he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority. <laughs> Basically, says, Why? don't ask that question. It's not, a, it's not a legitimate question. Doesn't matter. You have, no, you have no role in making Israel great again. Your role is as follows. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so Jesus says, look, your work is not to, to, for Israel to, to reach its greatness that it had, but your goal, your work, what you are called to is you will receive power from the Holy Spirit. And we'll get to that later in Acts. But he says, to be my witnesses. And there's two fronts on this. It's for them, the apostles, it was you have personally seen, walked with, and touched Jesus. And for them and for the rest of us, it's that we are witnesses of the king's presence, making our lives a stage on which Jesus appears and claims everyone for his own. The disciples are not representatives of an empire, but announce the revolution of the borderless, inbreaking kingdom of God and the reigning King Jesus. That's what the witnesses are responsible for. That is our one job. Our one job. And he says, you will be witnesses to the ends of the earth, geographically and ethnically inclusive of all people and locales. This was only the beginning of the scandal that the resurrection began. And so then in verse nine, in verse nine, we, we see the rest of kind of the wrap up of this story. And when Jesus had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way you saw him go to heaven. Jesus' ascension was a completion of his earthly mission. In his ascent, Jesus is declared king of the universe and gives way for the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. In my mind, I picture like the end of one of my, the seasons of my favorite shows or a movie that I want them to make a sequel, like at the end when it all goes dark, it's Jesus will return. And, 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 so, and so here, what, what, is this, what does this matter? What does this mean? What's important here? There's three things that I think are truths that we've talked about this morning. One is this, we live in an empire as a diaspora people whom Jesus has brought together and made into a set apart holy nation of priests. That's the first truth we need to struggle and, and figure out what we're gonna do with. The second truth is this, We've been given power through the Holy Spirit to be Jesus' witnesses to all people. What are we gonna do about that? And thirdly, the truth is this. Our message and lives speak that Jesus is the death-defeating king who is reigning over the universe right now and he alone deserves humble, loyal allegiance. So what are you going to do with those truths if in fact they're true? What change does that require in your life?
God, I pray that you would help us to wrestle with our assumptions and our ideas that don't profoundly confess and live out allegiance to King Jesus. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. I'm excited because you have no idea what these questions are. That's I don't the have, best part. I have no idea if there are any questions. Maybe oh, there are questions. Any questions. The people ask questions and they are excited to hear your <laughs> answers. All right, question number one. Uh, what are signs that love for my nation is competing with my love and loyalty for Jesus? Wait, wait, say that again. What are signs that love for my nation is competing with my love and loyalty for Jesus? Ooh, that's, that's a really good question. Um, I think that's a really hard line because, um, de I mean, depending on where you live and what nation you live in, you can be comfortable in that nation or very uncomfortable in that place. Um, I, I think that, that I'll throw, how about this? Um, when I look at others through the lens of they are not me or that they are my enemy, then probably my, I've settled into my nation rather than into my priesthood. Um, does that make sense? I, so like the idea of like, when I see someone I dislike or disagree with about a certain whatever idea, um, I may be leaning more into my national beliefs or my core beliefs rather than Jesus. And I mean, I don't know, maybe sometimes, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, no, okay, yeah. So, so when I, if I see someone, let's say, I mean, 9-11 was a horrific act. What happened out of that though, even what, what, what I think I felt and, and, and I think many people felt, whether Christian or not Christians, when they saw someone of Middle Eastern descent and look, there was a, there was a defensiveness and a, this person might be a bad person, as opposed to this person is someone who could be part of the priesthood of believers or needs, needs to hear, needs me to be a witness for Jesus. Um, I think that's kind of where I, I see maybe those things colliding. And if I start to um, categorize people and say, um, well, the Russians are bad. I, I think Jesus looks at the Russians and the Americans and says, they all have filthy rags. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think that's, okay. that's, that maybe is one indicator of if you start to categorize people and, and yeah, separate them out. Categories, all right. Yeah. Uh, question two, um, when I pray, how do I know the Holy Spirit is speaking and not me to myself? <laughs> oh, man. Um, I, I think that's hard because um, we, the, the cool thing is that, that, that we have the Holy Spirit indwelling in us. Um, and so really, it's sometimes hard to say, is this just my thoughts or is this Holy Spirit? I think there's a couple things. One is, if, if you don't know scripture, then you're not gonna have a very good grid of how to determine who's saying what in your life. So you've gotta know scripture. 
And maybe backing up, maybe what's even more important is that you, have, you, you are intimate with Jesus. Um, I have found that for me, really practicing the, the spiritual practices that we've been talking about here at Crosspoint and actually doing those things, I found that I am hearing much more clearly the Spirit's voice. Um, I think, here, here's the thing that I think that we tend to do. We, we value information and we value fruit. We value information and we value activity, the production. Um, there's, there's this thing um, among like guys who go to the weight room um, and, and they work out all the time and that kind of stuff. Then they wear shorts and, and people make the comment, oh, so do you miss leg day? So it's the idea that they work on their upper body and they do nothing for their legs. And here's what I would say. I think that we, in our tradition, have missed leg day. Because what we stand on as believers is intimacy with Jesus Christ and faithfulness to him. Because when we are intimate with Jesus, it will cause the information that we have about him to actually have an impact in our lives rather than just be knowledge. And when we are faithful to Jesus, it is clear in scripture that we don't produce fruit in our life, the Holy Spirit pr produces the fruit through our faithfulness. And so I think, I think intimacy and faithfulness are the legs that information and fruit stand on. And so I think as you pursue those things, I think you will naturally start to hear and identify the Spirit's voice in your life more accurately. You heard it first. Don't skip leg day, guys. It's real important. <laughs> All right. Don't be that guy. Don't be that. All right. Um, you ready for this one? I don't know. Probably not. <laughs> Is there anything wrong with wanting to establish God's kingdom on this earth in our lifetime? Man, I think that is such a, such a it feels like such a, a good thought. But we know from Revelation and through, from a number of passages in Thessalonians and in Matthew and in the Gospels, who's going to establish God's kingdom on earth? Jesus Christ. I was gonna say Jesus. That's I, a church yeah, answer. Yeah, I, I, was, I, I was like, when, if you're gonna be like a squirrel. I, I was like, no, Wes, that's not right. Um, yeah, yeah. Jesus Christ is going to establish the kingdom of God on earth in God's time. And so oftentimes with good intentions, I think we try to establish God's kingdom on earth and we just make a mess of things. That's like uh, 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 Geneva um, in history. Geneva was an experiment of creating God's kingdom on earth and it became a very brutal place because it just became a moral absolute place rather than a a humble, loyal uh, allegiance to Jesus Christ as king situation. So I think when we try to establish the kingdom of heaven on earth, we do it in ways that it makes sense to us. And really, again, what is our, what is our responsibility that Jesus gives us? We're to be witnesses of the kingdom. We are a foretaste, we're a sign of the kingdom, but we won't be able to establish the kingdom. And I think this is a good follow-up question that yeah. was asked. Is it possible to be both patriotic and a person who puts Christ first? I, I think so. I, I think, I mean, I, I, I think I would be disingenuous if I said 
that I've, I've had no benefit from being born and raised in this country. I'm thankful for that. I'm, I'm really appreciative. I am thankful for those who've served in the military. Um, I'm thankful for a number of things. What I also recognize is that, that our country is not always right, and our country has done a lot of wrong within the country and, and, and globally. Um, that's a result of sinful people leading our country. Um, so I think that there is this, I think there is a, a possibility for sure to be patriotic and Jesus being king of your life. I think the reality is you have to recognize that Jesus always wins over. Um, and I realize that this isn't what people are saying when they do this, but I think one of the visuals that, that was in my head, uh, it was um, Saturday, I went, I went for a, um, or actually last Sunday, I went for a bicycle ride um, in the afternoon and I was going by this house and there was a flagpole out front and it had um, one flagpole and it had the American flag and then the Christian flag underneath it. And I know that in our, in our, basically in our nation that you're required to fly the, the American flag above all other flags. Um, and I think that makes sense. We're a nation. We're an empire. And the flag is the, 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 the symbol of our nation's sovereignty. But I think it's interesting. And I, and I, don't, I don't know one way or the other because I don't know the people who lived at the house if they were making a statement. But isn't it interesting that the American flag must be higher than the Christian flag? even if you have multiple flagpoles. And I think we have to be careful that we don't live out our patriotism being higher than our commitment and allegiance to Christ. And I think that's gonna be something that everyone has to navigate. Sounds like it's a, it's a personal tension that you have to kind of I struggle it, with. Yeah, for sure, I think it for sure is. Okay. Amber asks, since they put their name on it, Nice. Uh, why does it matter that the Jew and Gentiles join? What, what's the big deal about that? Oh, that, I, think we've, I think we've got time to end on this question. That is a great question, Amber, whoever you are. Um, okay. Going all the way back to the beginning, God created man and woman. And he created them to be in relationship with him. He wanted a relationship. He wanted them to live in a community that he walked in and that they recognized that he is the sole provider of everything, that they are his children. And so then when we see the fall and all of this division and separation and all of that stuff, what, what we see is all of that was scattered, but, but human beings are God's they're the pinnacle of his creation. He's, he, he loves humanity so much that he has stamped his image on every human being, even though every human being is born into sin. And so God wants all of those, regardless if you recognize Jesus as savior and king or not, you are still one of God's children. You may be separated from him. You may be a lost child, but God went to the extent of, of sacrificing, Jesus Christ became flesh and was sacrificed and died and rose and conquered death and so that that separation would no longer be there. And so what God's intent all along was for all peoples, all nations, 
to be a mixture of, of diversity and culture and color and all of those things as part of his family making a whole. And so God's design of Israel and calling Israel out was not to take Israel as a special favored child, but to take Israel as an example to the rest of the nations and that God's blessing would flow through Israel to the nations. And what happened was Israel got to a point where instead of living in that reality, they saw the other nations as enemies. And sometimes it was because God set them as enemies because Israel disobeyed and God punished Israel. And so it's the same thing that we've been talking about. Sometimes as God's people, we see people in other places as enemies, just like Israel. But God wants all of that brought together. So God's, God's not doing a new work. God's doing the only work he's ever done, which is bringing all people together under one family. I think Paul says it best in, in uh it's in, it's in the middle of Ephesians, and I can't remember exactly, but he talks about the, the one family that God brings together to who all are, are fathered by God. And, and so that's why it is super important. And, and we see as Acts plays out that even the apostles struggled with that idea. But God made it abundantly clear that you have no other option. You are going to be one with these people that you have hated and who've enslaved you and who you won't even go and share a meal with, you are gonna be one with these people. And, and that's the thing that I think breaks national boundaries, it breaks ethnic boundaries, it breaks cultural boundaries, and doesn't say we will all look exactly the same and, and, and have the same cultural uh, uh, indicators. What it says is that we will have Christ in common and, and we will be made one under that. Cool. Acts 10 then, huh? Yeah, yeah. Be exciting. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'd also remind people to probably come in and watch on second service too, if you can, because there's gonna be different yeah. questions available yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. for the second service. Yeah. They did ask questions. Great. I don't know any of the questions because I was busy. You were? <laughs> oh. Making Star Wars jokes. Making Star Wars jokes. And in Silicon Canada. That wasn't appropriate. And I apologize. He apologizes to all those that are Canadian in the, the room. <clears throat> Best part is he doesn't really know any of these questions because they're different than first service. All right. All right, question one. Why do you think we as American Christians have the tendency to conflate, con conflate our faith with our patriotism? It seems uniquely American to do so nowadays. Mm. Um, that's a great question. I think uh, what's interesting is that I, I don't think that that's a uniquely American thing. Um, look at what we just read in Acts. Uh, the disciples did the same thing. They, they actually looked at, they, they shrunk down the vision that God gave for Israel. And what they did was they said, Israel and God are parallel. Um, so I think they did that too. I think, I think one, of the, one of the difficulties for us is that we, uh, and again, I think this, this will vary from person to person. Um, we, I, think, I think we live in a pretty great nation. Um, the, and, and so we're grateful for that and we like living there. Um, but it's easy then to say because we live in a place that, seem, that is blessed, then God must favor us over others. 
And, and I think part of it comes down to even the idea of patriotism. So talked about this a little bit in the, in the first service, and I don't know if I, I it kind of developed as I was talking, having conversations between services. Um, I, think, I think we can be patriotic as Americans, but I think that depends on your definition of patriotism. Because we are a priesthood of believers and that we have brothers and sisters and people who are part of our citizenship in nations all over the globe, then if patriotism is America first, then I don't know that a Jesus follower, I don't know if that settles with a Jesus follower. I think my definition, what I'm realizing of patriotism is gratitude. I think if our patriotism is in the, is in the form and the context of gratitude, then I think we can be patriots all day long and still King Jesus can have all of our allegiance because really our gratitude is not to America, it's to God and how he has the opportunities he's given us in this country. So I think that's part of it. So I, I think the struggle is actually to, to begin to see and look around us and say, okay, the people that, that are American citizens are not my citizenship. There are people in countries that are, our country is set against that are part of my citizenship. And so we have to recognize that and look at people that way, I think. All right. I, I think this next question is connected to some degree. Uh, how do we live in allegiance to Jesus in the workplace when there are rules and barriers to keep us in, al uh, in allegiance to America first? For example, public schools. Sure. Yeah, um, yeah, that's a hard thing. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of things. You know, I, 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 think, I think, again, I think this has been a struggle. This is, I mean, this had to be a struggle for the, the early church in the Roman Empire because there was a lot of rules, very specific rules. You see, you see back in the Old Testament in Daniel, you've got, you've got um, them being taken into exile into Babylon and, and then the successive nation, the empires that came after that figuring out what to do. And, and I think Daniel is such a great example to figure that out because there's some things worth, there's some things worth dying for and there's other things that we just have to decide what we're gonna do. And so I think what's interesting, when it came to Babylon imposing their dress onto Daniel and the Hebrews, they're like, no big, no, no big deal, we don't care. We can, we can wear your clothes. When and this is kind of an interesting thing because it does have a lot of root in, in, in Israel's history and, and Hebrew, um, Hebrew idealism is when Babylon changed their names. That's a significant, that's like fighting words. But they said, fine, it's not something we need to, we just decide to live by that. When it came to the food they were eating, they said, hey, can we, can we do an experiment? Can, can we see how this works? And if it doesn't work, we'll do what you ask us to do. If it does work, then consider what we're saying. And then when it came to praying and worshiping the statue of the king, they did not do it. So I think we need to recognize that, that every single thing that we are uncomfortable with or we say that's wrong that we're asked to do at work or school, those are not all in the same die for category. It might be a... I can, I, I can live with this and please Jesus. I need to have a conversation about this or I cannot do this. We, we live in a, an environment, in a, in a 
culture and a climate where everything is a die for fight. We can't do that. That's not how Jesus calls us to live. So yeah, I mean, I think it's that range. All right. It's tough. <laughs> yeah. Kind of just deciphering though, like using your intimacy with Jesus and others to figure out what that may look like in a particular situation because everything is different and not everything's worth dying for. Yes, is what I'm hearing you absolutely, say. absolutely. Okay. Uh, is it really a bad thing to have power in this world? As a Christian, do we have to be powerless? Yeah, um, power is not inherently bad, but um, it, is, it is, I think we are hard pressed to find long-term examples of people with power who don't lose their, their way. Um, and that's true in the world, it's true in the church. Um, pastors of churches who don't have accountability and have power, they're not witnesses for Jesus to the ends of the world. They give people reason not to come to Jesus. Um, and that's true all over. So, so I, I don't know that power is necessarily wrong because sometimes God places you in a place of authority and power. Um, Esther was, while it was kind of a little bit, um, a little bit complicated, she was in a position of power and she utilized that. Paul, as a Roman citizen, was in a position of power in what he could attribute to. But here's the thing, Esther and Paul have something in common. They executed their power for the sake of the kingdom of God in those moments. Um, Paul didn't rely on his right as a Roman citizen just to defend his rights. He relied on his right to further be a witness to G of Jesus in the kingdom of God. So, so I, think, I think that's one of the things. It's just, it's hard. And, and I, I would say Jesus in his, in, in his ministry, um, he, I don't know, I, he, he seemed to do pretty well without power. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, next quest, question. Uh, should American Christians be cautious about being slash acting patriotic? Say that again. Should American Christians be cautious about being slash acting patriotic? And it kind of goes back to the yeah, yeah, patriotism. Yeah, I, yeah, what I does think that it, look like yeah, in a healthy I think, way? Yeah, I think it kind of goes back to, again, what, what are you looking at? Is that saying America first at all costs at the, at the, for the sake of the rest of the world? Or is it that um, I am grateful for what I have um, and I am also at the same time focused on um, Jesus, the witness of Jesus going out to all nations and, and being able to do that um, without giving more hurdles for people to, to, um, to find Christ. All right, I'm reloading because I'd like to yeah. see the you know, I, And I think part of that is a lot of, a lot of what we're talking about, um, we really have to have, a, to make good decisions, we have to have a good relationship with Jesus. Here's what's interesting. We, we in our culture, we highly value information and we highly value fruit or pro productivity. Um, those are our two highest values. We love information and we love productivity. In, for guys who work out, um, there's, there's this thing uh, that they, especially in those circles, they um, love to work on their upper body and then they wear shorts and you know, the, the, the comment that they might be made is, oh, you, so you missed leg day. 
Um, and, and so, you know, they've got this like overdeveloped upper body and these super tiny skinny legs. And, and that's because, you know, it's what they feel is important and most desirable. And I think, I think that the thing that we do in Christianity is, is a lot of times we have missed leg day because information's important, but intimacy with Jesus is the grounding and foundation for information. So, so if you are not intimate with Jesus, I found that I, I am so much more able to hear the Holy Spirit because of my intimacy with Jesus and pursuing spiritual practices like, like meditation on scripture and prayer and fasting and giving as a tool to develop intimacy with Jesus, that has changed the way I see the information that I read that God gives to us. In the same way, um, it is clear that we have to be faithful to Christ before we produce fruit. In fact, we don't produce fruit. The Bible's super clear that we are called to faithfulness, not fruitfulness, that when we are faithful, God produces the fruit in us. So kind of intimacy and faithfulness is our legs and information and fruit is our upper body. We have nothing to stand on if we are not intimately faithful with Jesus. And, and so I think that is super important for us to recognize. And we are tempted in the culture that we live in to ignore intimacy and faithfulness. Don't skip like day, everybody. Don't Absolutely. Do it. Uh, following up with this question, you answered it a little bit uh, within your response. Is this, uh, what practices do you do to help uh, you remember that Jesus is the only one who gets your allegiance while we live privileged American lives? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think, again, I think spiritual practices are so important. Um, I mean, just to take fasting for an example, um, I've gotten into a place where I can't wait to fast because I know what it does and I know how I experience Jesus, not only in that time of fasting, but what that produces after. Um, that reminds me of things. That remind, I mean, again, part of fasting is letting go of that which I have a right to. And that reminds me of those things. I was, um, it was interesting. I, I think I'm starting to see things in a different light because of my growing intimacy with Jesus. I was, last Sunday after church, I was riding my bike and going for, for a ride, riding from my house to Dry Creek. And, and one of the roads I was riding on, there was a house and a flagpole. And um, on the flagpole, it had, on the top of the flagpole, it had an American flag and then it had a Christian flag underneath. And the reality is, is in our country that, that you're, you're not supposed to fly any flag higher than the American flag, um, which is fine. It's, it's a nation, it's an empire, and that makes sense that an empire would say no flag higher than, than our nation's flag. And I, and I don't know the people who lived in that house, and, and I certainly don't know their motives or anything like that, and I don't have a problem with it, but here's what's interesting. The visual of the American flag over the Christian flag, what does that communicate? And I'm not saying it was their desire to communicate something, but, but, but it's, I think it's easy to fall into that place of not remembering who our allegiance is to, first and foremost, at the expense of everyone else. It kind of goes back to that idea of, I'm beginning to believe more and more is that to, to follow Jesus is to betray your people and the empire you were born into. All right. Um, and I think this, this kind of really connects in a lot of ways, this question. Should everything we, do, uh, everything we do be speaking the name of Jesus audibly, or is it enough to live like Jesus mm. did and allow people to engage with us 
organically? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think we'll probably finish with that question. Man, that's a great question. Um, I, I think that there is, that the connecting piece of that is our relationship with the Holy Spirit and our dependence and our ability to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Because I think sometimes um, God uses us in different ways. Uh, sometimes we go a bit undercover like Corey Tin Boom in hiding Jews during the Holocaust. She didn't pronounce what she was doing in the name of Jesus. Um, other times, um, I think we, we, we verbalize. You know, it was, it was interesting, my, my neighbor who isn't a believer, but, but we've been getting to know each other, um, he, he asked me, he said, oh, so you're, you're a pastor, and he said, um, what, what, you know, what, what group are you with? Um, that kind of gives you an idea of his background. And I said, oh, I said, actually, we're like, I guess we're non-denominational. He said, what does that mean? And I said, it just means we talk a lot about Jesus. And I was like, that is, in that moment, I was so glad that that's where I went because that is the, that is the best description that we can give. Um, who cares what our, what our affiliation is or the, the brand of Christianity that we are? Are we talking about Jesus or not? And I think in that context, it made a difference for me to say, we're a church that talks about Jesus specifically. I don't know that that has to be the answer every time in every context, um, but in that one, I think it made a lot of sense. So, so I think it's that thing of, um, we don't fail if we don't use the name of Jesus in every context. We do fail if we disobey speaking the words that the Holy Spirit is directing us to. Um, and I think that's important. So, yeah. All right. Yeah. You wanna cool. close us in prayer this morning? Sure. Awesome. Uh, Father, thank you for today, God. Um, as we continue to wrestle with um, the words that were spoken today, uh, Holy Spirit, just, just guide us. Uh, bring people in our lives to have these conversations. Um, just thank you that we could have these conversations in this place. Let us recognize that everybody's made in your image and that you deeply love them, God. And just help us continue to treat them uh, in that manner. Uh, we love you and we pray this in your son's name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you feel inspired and moved by what God is doing here at Crosspoint. Thank you.